welcome to Not Just Pretty Faces, the podcast that celebrates women who are killing it. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Not Just Pretty Faces. Going forward, I will be interviewing women who are killing it in their fields of interest. Some may be stay-at-home moms, some may be doctors, lawyers, some may be spicy accountants or spiritual advisors. The point is that these women have stories and are living their lives to the best of their ability. To be able to share their stories is an honor, and I hope to do them all justice. These women are smart and funny and disrupting either their own lives, the status quo, or some combination. If you are or know of a woman who is killing it, please let me know. There is an application process, and I'm happy to send it out to you. Eventually, I'll have a website to direct you to, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so in the, mean, in the meantime, email me at rena at renajensen.com. You may be wondering about the name, so let me share with you how I came up with it. Back in the day of the height of patriarchy, when women couldn't vote, have her own bank account, or own property without having a husband, when dowries were a thing, and even today, for those men who still believe women should be controlled, Women were thought to simply be something pretty for men to look at. Our ideas were not valid or considered important. We were just pretty faces. It also stems from something I say when I share an idea and someone likes it. I say, not just a pretty face, and or not just a hat holder, while pointing to my head. Implying that, yes, in fact, I have a brain and I know how to use it. While I'm being funny, the truth is that there are still many people in this world who still discount us, dismiss us, and flat out disrespect us. So here we are, sharing the stories of the women who dare to be smart in addition to pretty. Also because we will have a variety of women in a variety of industries, there are no topics off limits. However, boundaries are encouraged and respected here. If there is ever a question a guest does not want to answer, in no way is she obligated to answer. So now that I've got all of those things taken care of, let me take a minute to introduce myself. I was born and raised in Iowa, Cedar Rapids to be specific. I often joke that I am both native and captive because every time I try to move, something has kept me here. I'm a dog mom to two pit bulls, Winston and Zoe, and... I'm working on living the camper life. I'm intuitive and developing my gifts every day. I'm an energy worker and a brain geek. I should have gotten my degree in psychology, but I went for business instead. I believe in gratitude, love, and a higher power, and that our minds can heal our bodies better than big pharma. I love it when women disrupt the status quo in order to better the world they live in. There is something magical about it, sexy even. I believe in the rule of love. I don't know if that's an actual thing, but it should be. My interpretation is to treat others the way they want to be treated because we've all had different experiences and I'm advocating for an experience-informed world. I also try my best to leave everyone and everything better than when I found them. I'm not perfect. I don't always do my best and may not be your cup of tea, but... I will keep trying and keep putting myself out there in order to empower you to live the life you dream of. Because if we aren't living our own life, whose life are we living? I'm excited that you are here. 
and I look forward to sharing the world with you. With all my love and gratitude, I will see you guys soon. Well, see, here, same thing, right? <laughs> Bye. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Not Just Pretty Faces. Today we have Dr. Tracy. She is a naturopath out of Canada, and we are super excited to be with her today. So thank you, Tracy, for being here with us. I have a couple of uh, questions for you real quick, and then I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Okay. All right. Let's do this. All right. So where are you from? Yeah. So I'm from a small town north of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Awesome. And where do you currently live? In that same small town. I moved around a little bit for school and such, but I mm -hmm. uh, am back in my hometown now. Love it. Who do you text the most? That would probably be my sister. <laughs> <laughs> and the most favorite trip you've taken? Oh, that one's a tough one. It really depends on context because um, I've done a couple of I mean, cool things to me, maybe others don't think it's cool, but I did like an adventure trip in Costa Rica where it's 14 days of like hiking, biking, Ooh. kayaking, paddling, and whitewater rafting and all that kind of stuff. So that was super cool. That does sound um, fun. I've also, yeah. I've also done some like backcountry uh, canoe tripping and I did a solo trip by myself this summer. So that was like a little bit wild. Fun. <laughs> I'm planning on doing a solo trip for the first time next year. Awesome. Yeah. I highly recommend um, it. Thank you. Yeah. Good. And how do you self-care? How do I self-care? Uh, well, there's a few things that I do depending on my, depending on my day. Uh, exercise for. Sorry, my headphones have been being. That's okay. Really funky. <laughs> okay. It's all right. That part out. <laughs> I, there's, there's actually no editing in this. We are all about the, like all the okay. shit that really happens in our lives. So yeah, I so understand and fine. our listeners will too, huh? <laughs> Technology's fun. Right. Until really it doesn't cool work for us. <laughs> yeah. Really cool headphones. They're like bone conduction, but they, um, so again, like when I'm running and stuff, I can hear traffic and birds and it's really cool. Oh, cool. Um, but recently they've just decided to randomly mute themselves, which doesn't work well when you're being interviewed. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, so self-care, I would say breathing is huge. Exercise is huge. Um, I like coffee. My morning coffee is kind of like my me time where I kind of prep my day and get mentally prepared. Um, yeah. yeah, I think those are kind of the, the biggies and reading and gratitude and cool. I love it. Well, now that we know a little bit about you, tell us about you. Tell us more about like how you became a naturopath. What is a naturopath um, and, and all the things that spark you. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So um, I'm a naturopathic doctor and a sport nutritionist and I grew up in a small town and there was, you know, I always kind of wanted to be in medicine and uh, there weren't really a lot of options aside from like being a doctor or a nurse or a physiotherapist. And I just, those ones just didn't really quite sit the way that I wanted to practice uh, healthcare. So I went off to school. I took kinesiology at McMaster university because I figured it was going to be a stepping stone to like whatever. And I'm just fascinated by like the mechanics of human movement and the physiology and all of that stuff. So I figured if I was going to spend four years learning something, it might as well be something I enjoy. Um, so I did that. Uh, and then while I was there, I found out about um, 
this program called, well, a school called the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more I learned about it, the more it really just sat, like it really felt like what I was called to do. Um, so naturopathic doctors uh, focus on prevention of disease. We focus on uh, treating the root cause of the disease or the imbalance or whatever you might want to call it. So rather than treating symptoms, um, we're looking at what's causing the symptom and going right into the root. We can treat the root or we can treat the symptoms as well, um, but we don't stop there. We dig deeper and we just make sure that um, we're really helping to optimize our patient's health. Um, and then I have a sporting background as well. So I was like, how do I do this with sports? Right. <laughs> so now I focus a lot on getting people moving um, and helping athletes and athletes at heart balance their training, nutrition, lifestyle, and mindset so that they can achieve their goals. Um, I just, yeah, really, really feel that, you know, if we could bottle physical activity and put it into a pill, it would, it could change the world. Um, we can't. So my job is to motivate people to do that on their own. Right. I love yeah. that you get to the root. And that's one of the things that I love about, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank, uh, not naturopath, but what's the, what's the other, um, functional medicine. That's the, one of the things that I love about both of these fields. Are they so silly question? Cause I'm well, not silly. Cause I don't know. That's okay. Is there a difference between a naturopath and functional medicine? Yeah. So usually functional medical doctors are like MDs, so medical doctors that have taken some extra training in some of these more holistic approaches, whereas our whole schooling is the holistic approach. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so we in Canada, well, in Ontario where I am, we can do things like acupuncture and herbs and supplements and like IV, IV therapy and injections and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Does that answer okay. the question? Yeah, it does. So I was actually looking on your website this morning and um, noticed that your services include primary health care, which a lot of people don't think that that would mm. be something that a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor could do is primary health care. You also yeah. have lab services, prescription rights, nutrition counseling, lifestyle counseling, acupuncture, herbal medicine, and physical medicine. That's like the yeah. whole gamut of all things health related in, I, I think anyway. Yeah, is pretty that, funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, like, I don't, I don't even know where to start with my questions because I have so many. <laughs> and so if you are somebody's primary healthcare provider, what does that look like? Yeah, so it looks like everything from doing regular screening physical exams um, to, you know, regular screening blood work as well. Um, and it also just means that, you know, if you have a health concern, we can be the first person that you come to with that. So if you have an ear infection or a stomach ache or any of that, you know, anything you see your, your medical doctor for, you could show up in our office for as well. Um, and so we have the physical exam skills um, and like diagnostic skills to be able to provide a patient with a diagnosis and then refer when required. So here in the States, insurance does not cover natural medicine. No. Does, is that different in Canada or is that the same? Uh, it's still private medicine here as well. Okay. So some insurance companies will provide sort of like a reimbursement for it. Um, but it's still kind of people have to choose to come and see us rather than pulling out their, their healthcare cards. So. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's probably got to be a little, um, a little bit of a barrier to entry, sort of speak for some people that don't have the, the financial means in order to do that. But the, the benefit for that is so amazing. Like I, I know that I avoid 
all things Western medicine, if at all possible. Um, I have a cold right now. I know we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but um, I am not at my normal self and I, I avoid the doctor if I absolutely can. And, um, I couldn't this weekend, I had to, I had to give in and yeah. stop the suffering. Um, sure. like so how, a, you know, go ahead. Like a right time, right place for the type of medicine. Right. And so, yeah. I mean, I'm the first to admit that I've, I've, I take pharmaceutical drugs when I need to, right. I, you know, I mm-hmm. do my natural stuff first and if it's not cutting it, then I'll go get antibiotics if I need to, or I'll take, yeah. you know, an NSAID if my, if my pain is out of control. So, um, you know, there are, there's the right time and the right place and the right person. Yeah. And the right timeline. Right. So, yeah. And I think there's a lot of, um, misconception about natural and getting down to the root and the differences between Eastern and Western medicine. Is that something that you've talked about with, with people before? And what does that conversation sound like? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a good question because a lot of people, yeah, they feel like they have to kind of pick one or the other, right? Like I can either see a naturopath or I can see my medical doctor. If I'm on a medication, I can't do this. And it's actually, you can do both and we, we can collaborate really nicely together um, so that we can reduce reliance on, you know, some medications if we need to, we can, you know, amp up our lifestyle games so that we can prevent the disease from getting, you know, worse um, or getting, you know, um, like sequelae from disease. So it can, it, like it won't continue on as, as, as it would have without um, some of the diet and lifestyle things. And there's some really powerful herbs that can work really well um, together with certain medications too. So um, I think, yeah, I think people don't have to be scared about like putting them together, but it does, it's something that you can't just kind of do on your own because, you know, when we're adding in, you know, herbs and supplements and things that might be affecting a particular disease process, if you're on a medication, it might be doing the same thing and it could actually, you know, interact and make one drug like too high in your body or too low and not having the right therapeutic effect. Um, and so sometimes that can be really dangerous. So it is really important if you're you know, looking into doing some of those things to, you know, find a qualified professional to help you, to help guide you on that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. My job is reading studies all day long. So when I'm not with patients. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that you have on your website, it said something, uh, and I'm not gonna be able to find it as quickly as I want to, but something okay. about working with, um, uh, evidence-based and, um, ex- I think experience, right. Um, yeah. and, and listening to your patients. And I think that's so very important because my experience, doctors don't typically listen to all the things that we have to say. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. So I think sort of the beauty of what we, what we offer as naturopathic doctors is time, right? So we spend a little more time with our patients. Most of like my initial visits, usually about an hour with patients and they, they fill out like a form ahead of time. So I already know what we're going to talk about for the most part and have an idea. And then we spend an hour getting to know each other and, you know, explaining kind of what's going on in their body and what the, what the treatment process or what it's going to look like working together. Um, and then we start a few things on that day as well. And then our follow-ups are usually a half an hour. And so if you think about it, I know like here, here in Canada, you get like seven to 15 minutes with your, with your medical doctor and you get kind of usually like one concern. Right. And so we just like, we love it. If you just lay it all on the table and we have all the information, all the data, give it, give it all to us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just really helps us to figure out, you know, where there's different um, correlations between things that are going on. So like, you know, one of the, I'll just give an example. Um, I have some patients that have like chronically stuffy noses and they've had a history of ear infections. They have some skin things and it's like, that's often dairy, right? So 
but you could just, you could treat the skin, you could treat the ear, you could treat the, the sinus, but if it's all, you know, related to the same thing, that's where we're going to start, right? Um, and then back to the evidence-based uh, question that you asked, I think there's a big kind of misconception about what evidence-based actually means. So a lot of people will say that I practice, you know, I practice evidence-based medicine. Um, and what people I think think it means, and what I used to think that it meant, was that I went to the research studies and I pulled the research and said, hey, there's proof that this works for some people, so let's do it for my patient, right? Um, but the real, that's part of evidence-based medicine, but there's two other pieces that people forget about. And one of them is the practitioner experience. Um, and so the things that they have seen work over and over in their practice as part of the evidence base. Um, and also patient preference is a huge piece of it as well. And so you need to look at, you know, what the science says, what my experience shows and what the patient wants and put all those together. And that's evidence-based. That's a really interesting way to look at that. That yeah. um, <clears throat> your blog has uh, myths about naturopathic doctors, which I <laughs> loved, by the way. Oh, and you. it said, it said, I think it was in this section that um, it was talking about the evidence-based and I really enjoy that. But you also have great points about nat naturopathic doctors are uneducated, which is entirely not true. And the other one was they don't believe in conventional medicine again, all massively not true. Cause you, and even personally for yourself, you're like, I'll go get those things if I need to, yeah. <laughs> um, lack adequate re regulation. So I don't know, I don't know anything about the regulatory, ex um, expectations between Canada and the United States for either of these, because I'm, I'm not in that field, but <clears throat> I know that Canada has, um, according to your, your site, like you have to take eight exams over four days in order to be a naturopathic doctor. And you still have to do, um, you still have to be licensed. Uh, make sure I'm going to get this right. Um, you have to pass the Ontario board of exams, go to the college of naturopaths and something else that I'm not finding quickly for, <laughs> medical professionals what was the what's yeah. the thing i'm not finding so so in every jurisdiction is a bit different and in canada we're pretty well regulated across the board there's a few provinces that aren't um the states i think is a little more i think there's fewer regulated jurisdictions so that's sort of where it's like really important to know you know did this person who's calling themselves like in, in ontario saying a naturopath is a protected title which means if you didn't go through the schooling, you didn't get your registration through our regulatory board, then you can't call yourself a naturopath. But in unregulated jurisdictions, people can. Um, and that's where it gets a little bit questionable, right? Where, you know, I think that's where some of these myths come in because there are some like weekend kind of naturopathic courses that people can take and they say, I'm a naturopathic doctor. And it's like, ah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, our, in Ontario, we have to do at least, you know, three or four years of an undergraduate um, bachelor's degree. Um, and then the naturopathic medical schools, four years. And then in that, there's two sets of board exams um, and then like a registration exam. And that's just to get your registration. And then there's continuing education after that. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't, learning doesn't stop once we exit school. It's every day, every year, every patient, right? So one of the things that we fight with Western medicine is that doctors are not taught um, the value of nutrition, with their patients, they're just, they just push pills. Um, not all, but a majority. So is that something in your continuing ed that uh, as a naturopath, 
you look at that like nutritional um, impact you, cause you said earlier that stuffy nose can be dairy related, which incidentally, I just had a lot of dairy but leading up to this cold. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to note it, make note of that. So is that, is that something that you do? That yeah, you we do. Tons. We, yeah. So we have, I think in the four-year program, we have three years of kind of like classroom and like practical education. And then we have a full year of an internship. So every year, in years one, two, and three, we, we take a full uh, course load of, of um, nutrition. So it's all the way from like, you know, biochemistry and the Krebs cycle and all that kind of stuff and how vitamin A works and, and all those kinds of things, but then also how to apply that to different conditions and different disease states, and then use them therapeutically in specific dosages. So um, I always like to try to start with, with the diet first, right? So the, I mean, yeah. and when I say diet, I mean the foods that you eat on a regular basis, not yeah. like not dieting. like a diet diet. Yeah. Yeah. Not like a fad diet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. And I'm like, there's tons of those, but um, yeah. So it would look at like the quality of the food and the type of food and variety that you're getting into your, into your body. And then also seeing, you know, are they related to what's going on for you too? Right. Um, and there's also this sort of, you know, we see like healthy foods, you know, something's supposed to be healthy. Something's not healthy, good food, bad food. Right. And one of the things that I always have to explain to people is that just because something is considered healthy doesn't mean that it's healthy for you as an individual, right? And that's again where that like evidence-based sort of personal uh, individuality comes into it because you know I've got some patients where they just can't eat tomatoes, right? And tomatoes are healthy; they're good for you. We're told, you know, or yeah. you know, strawberries or whatever, right? And it's like, okay, well that's great; they're good for the general population, but you're not the general population; you're you, and they're not good right. for you, <laughs> right? Just like peanuts um, are not good for, for many people. Well, exactly. Right. And somehow we're okay with like, we understand the idea of peanuts causing like anaphylactic shock for people, but we don't necessarily understand the idea or think about the idea of any other food causing some other immune, like smaller immune reaction somewhere else in the body. Right. Right. Like dairy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. I find that so interesting. Okay. So 2020 was interesting yeah. to say the least. And I know that you see your patients in person. So during that time, during quarantine, um, has that changed your practice at all? Like, do you now see clients virtually? I do. Yeah. Okay. And it's actually kind of funny because I was, I've been trying to kind of push for this telemedicine thing for a few years and I, nobody would do it. Right. Everybody still wanted to drive 20 minutes to come and see me in the office to talk about stress and diet and lifestyle and sleep. And, you know, I didn't actually need to like physically touch them or do acupuncture or do exams or anything. So it was literally just a conversation and they still always wanted to just come and sit in my office. You don't have to, (laughs) we can do this over (laughs) Zoom. Um, But, you know, one of the, one of the benefits that kind of happened through COVID is that people, um, there was just this massive adoption of telemedicine, right? And so now um, that just really increases the flexibility of how I'm able to serve my, my patients. So, you know, I work at a two different offices and I, I also teach at the Naturopathic College. So I'm kind of all over the place. Oh, cool. um, and so when people are trying to, you know, come and see me in person, it's very limited. Um, but with, with virtual telemedicine, it's so easy. They can access me on, you know, in, almost any day of the week. Um, I obviously have some boundaries and things there, but, um, you know, if someone really needs me, I can, I can show up for them on, on zoom and then we can, you know, do the intake and we can talk about whatever's going on for them. Um, and then, you know, we can even, we need to do blood work. I can just, you know, send them a requisition. They go to the lab without even 
coming to see me right in person. So there's so many things we can do over Zoom. Um, just nothing where I have to like put my hands on people or stick yeah. them with needles. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be a little difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah, I haven't quite figured out how to do acupuncture over Zoom, but I've shown people how to do some like self-myofascial release. And, you know, we can actually get pretty creative um, in terms of, you know, doing assessments and teaching people, um, you know, techniques and things that they can do on themselves, um, exercises, rehab, that kind of stuff too. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, people have been forced to adopt it. And now some of those people who, you know, always wanted to come see me in person, they're just like, no, Zoom's cool. I'll just see you from my living room. Perfect. Perfect. Has it also um, expanded your reach? Like, have do you have new clients now that you are clients that you never would have been able to see before? Because I know that you're, you're pretty prior, you were pretty focused on your in-person patients. So has that expanded your practice? Yeah, a little bit for sure. Um, our registration is basically, you know, for the province of Ontario. So now I'm, you know, able, I'm always been able to treat anybody in Ontario and I've had a few in the past. Um, but now there's definitely more people that are a little farther away that, you know, probably wouldn't have come to, to see me. Um, so for example, I have like, I have a patient who lives three and a half hours away. Um, and we've just been working on, um, you know, nutrition for an Ironman triathlon over zoom. <laughs> and then if he has injuries and things come up, then I just tell him what's, we do a little bit of an assessment and I tell him what's going on or what I think is going on. And then I refer him to a local practitioner to get some, some care done. Right. So go see, go see a massage therapist, go see a chiropractor, go see somebody else, right. For the hands-on stuff. And then we just do the big picture things. So it's pretty perfect. Funny. That's amazing. Yeah. What is a conversation that you would rather be having within your industry? Like many people ask probably very similar questions. What kind of conversation would you rather be having? Hmm. With patients? In general. Or with, or with, with colleagues? <laughs> Either. I, let's do both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with patients, I prefer to be having like the empowering conversations, right? And I think in healthcare, there's just sort of this sort of mindset or idea that, you know, you go to your, you go to your doctor and they do things to you and they give you things to take, but you're not really responsible for your own care, right. Or your own health. Yeah. And so the conversation that I have a lot, um, and I wish people, you know, kind of knew this ahead of time before coming to see me is that you have a lot of power in terms of like taking care of your own health care. You're actually the only person who has responsibility in that. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as you, are you know putting shifting that responsibility to somebody else, then you're not actually probably going to get better, right? So you really do need to be, you know, I can make all the recommendations that I want, and patients like, oh, thank you so much for you know this or that or whatever. I'm like, I didn't do anything. You did the work, right? So I just gave you the ideas. You're the one who implemented. I'm not coming to your house to you know cook you dinner and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I get that a lot too. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, it wasn't me. It was you. You did the work. <laughs> yeah. So I have to remind people of that, right? And they're like, oh, thanks so much. I you know. I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. Like, I'm happy that you're, that you're well, but like, give yourself some credit because you're the one who's doing this 24 seven, right? Yeah. I'm just the one that kind of guided you. So um, I think, yeah, shifting just to more like patient responsibility of their and empowering, right? Like, I feel like, you know, a lot of people in, when they, like people, when they go see their medical doctors or any practice, most practitioners really is that like even, you, you know, you go to a massage therapist, they're doing the work, right? You lie there, get a massage and they're doing the work and you leave and you don't change your life, right? <laughs> right. So it's not just like, it's not just medical doctors, it's pretty much the whole system. And even, you know, physiotherapy, um, 
they do some things to you and you still have to go home and I mean, they, they'll give you some exercises and things to do as well. Right. But you still have to be doing them. Right. So yeah, I think just that empowering conversation is really important. Yeah. Um, and what with, conversation with colleagues? Uh, that's a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> We've got time. Uh, I know there's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think with colleagues, I think that we need to find a way to better like leverage what we're doing to serve more people. Um, and I think that's a conversation that needs to, and there are some people that are doing it and it's really cool. Um, but I think that's sort of something that needs to be happening. Okay, cool. Um, I had another question. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier you talked about, um, sports and performance medicine. Yeah. I, so of your list of services, I'm going to guess that that's probably the most, the one that you're the most passionate about. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, I know that you, you, um, tapped into this about it, why it's your favorite, but why is that your passion? Why is sports and performance medicine, the thing that you are driven to help people with? Yeah, I'm just, I'm super fascinated by the potential of the human body. Um, and I think that most people are barely scraping the surface of what their bodies are capable of. Oh, I'm, um, and so I'm totally just, on board with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think it's really cool to see patients and, and you know, I'm going to call them clients um, or patients. I use them inter- interchangeably, um, but just watching them sort of like push their limits and the amount of like confidence and yeah, basic competence, right? That comes out of that. And that also impacts every other area of their life, right? And so if we can show them what's possible in terms of their physical activity, then, you know, what else is possible in any other aspect? And a lot is possible. Um, So I just find it's a really cool tool um, to use with people. And then, I mean, the other thing is that there's so much evidence for the benefit of physical activity in terms of like preventing chronic disease and managing conditions and, you know, everything from, Um, like, you know, type two diabetes to cancer, to anxiety and depression, um, to stress management, to like sleep issues. There's so much, right. And um, it just is, yeah, so important. Yeah. And then as we get older too, um, we, we lose uh, muscle mass if we're not actively trying to keep it. Um, And so, you know, I always kind of think, do you want to be that like 80 year old who has to walk around in it with the cane and can't get up and down the stairs and, you know, needs somebody to do everything for them because they can't handle their body isn't strong enough to do the activities of daily living. Or do you want to be that person that like is still super independent and able, able to still like live a decent quality of life. Right. And so those are sort of the options and physical activities are the one that gets you to the, the better option in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. So I'm, my, my focus is the brain and the subconscious and how it rolls our lives yeah. 95% of the time. So yep. with this, with your clients and your patients, um, they're, they want to make the changes, but for whatever reason, they're not, how do you deal with that or address that? Do you refer them to somebody that can help them break through that mental block? Or is that something that you can help them with as well? A little bit of both. <laughs> We have a little bit of training. So we do, you know, I help them kind of identify what the barriers are and kind of create a plan and figure out what's going to work for them. 
um, to like to fit it in. So whether it's like setting an alarm to go and do something or putting it in your calendar or calling a friend, you know, to make sure that you're meeting up to, or like hiring a personal trainer to make sure you're getting to the gym or whatever it might be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if there's, if that's not cutting it, then we definitely um, can and do refer to other other people that work with the brain and motivation and um, getting people on board with that too. So I refer a lot for that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Couple more questions before we end our time together. What is one book recommendation you would give? Oh, I, or podcast. Yeah. So I've been like, I just bought $300 worth of books. I have a stack of about 14 books in my, <laughs> and, and I have some in my kitchen too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just read, I guess it really depends on context. There's a few that are really liking. Uh, one was called Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think it's really helpful for, for people when they're trying to make changes mm-hmm. um, to their habits because he talks, he kind of breaks it down. Um, there's another one that's called, uh, the power of habit. I think it was called by, uh, oh my goodness, Charles Dugan. Is that him? I don't remember. I'll okay. have to figure that one out. But anyways, he, he was like really scientific about it. Um, and talks about kind of pathways and all of that, like neuro neurology stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but James's book really breaks it down into like actionable steps. Right. And so here's how you can, here's how we form habits. Here's how we break them. Here's how we make new ones. Um, and so it was sort of interesting to, to learn his perspective. Right. And I think a lot of what I talk about is building habits. So I think that's a really great book for people to start with. Um, and the one thing that I remember that he, he wrote about that I thought was really interesting was, um, there's this notion of like, it takes three weeks, you know, 21 days or 28 days, or, you know, insert whatever number here of days to form a habit. And yeah. his argument is that it takes your whole life because as soon as you don't do it anymore, it's no longer a habit. Right. I was like, Whoa, mind blown. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, yeah. So that was, that's a good one. I like that one. Okay. I'm, I, this popped up a couple of times for me. So I think I'm going to have to just get it and read it. All right. Last question. If you could only share one thing with the next generation of women, what would it be? Um, I think it would be to stay in sports. There's some really interesting data about how much or how, how much more frequently um, women and girls drop out of sports than, than men and boys. Um, and a lot of it comes down to, well, I mean, period's a big thing, to be honest. Like a lot of people don't know how to deal with that um, or aren't given the education um, or resources to be able to deal with it. So they figure, they figure that they just, you know, their body's changing, they're not really sure what's happening. Other yeah. things come up and they just sort of like drop sports off. But I think um, there's so many character traits and you know skills that you learn through physical activity and sport that are just so transferable to the rest of your life and if you look at you know some of the top like CEOs and um, really successful women a lot of them were in sports right and so it's a lot of you know learning learning teamwork learning um, time management learning prioritization all of those kinds of skills that are super important um, and they're just so transferable and sports are just a really fun way to learn them yeah yeah, that's amazing. I was not a sports kid growing up. I'm still not a sports kid now either. So that's really interesting. And it's not something that I would have thought you could learn all of those habits, but it makes absolute sense. 
Completely. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be like I say I say sports, right? But it could be it's any physical activity really. Um, and so for some people, that's you know it's you know it's hiking. You can yeah. break down so many so many barriers and learn so many things with hiking. You can learn them through you know weightlifting and do spin classes. Like it doesn't have to be you know playing a team sport or you know running marathons or doing Ironmans or whatever, right? It's just it's whatever way that you move your body that you find empowering. Um, because that empowerment and confidence will uh, bleed across the rest of your life. That's amazing. I love that so much, which actually leads me to one actual final question. (laughs) As an adult, you you mentioned Ironman. If somebody has an inkling to do that level of, of sports thing, listen to me. I don't even know what the proper words are. I'm so disconnected from sports. Um, what would be the best way in your opinion to gradually or, or get, just get into it? Like if that's something that somebody really wants to do, what's the first step? Uh, well, I think the first step is to look to see if there's like a local, um, triathlon or like multi-sport club around. Um, that's how I got into it kind of by accident. I used to play like team sports and I moved back to my small town. There was no real organized team sports for adults, for adult women anyways. Um, so then I started running because I was like, what else do I have? What else can I do to like stay in shape and stay busy? So I started running and then I, and I hated it, to be honest. I used to hate running, but I just forced myself to do it because I'm like, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> and it was the one thing that, you know, despite a crazy schedule of like working all over the place and doing different things, it was the one, and you know, some travel and stuff. It was the one thing you just needed your running shoes, right? It was totally portable. I could do it in the morning. I could do it in the afternoon. I could do it in the evening. Um, and then, so I started running and I ran a half, half marathon. Um, and then I joined like a triathlon club and I got, <laughs> I always kind of say like suckered into, I'm, I'm, I have a kind of a rubber elbow when it comes to this kind of stuff. So <laughs> they were talking Easily about, this, twisted. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they were talking about this half Ironman, which is like a, it's about a 2k swim, a 90k bike, and then a 21 kilometer run. I realize you guys are in this, most of you are in the States. So that's, I don't remember the miles, but 70.3 miles in total that you like motor yourself through, through swimming, biking and running back to back to back. Yep. Uh, and so I had some, like some colleagues, some people in the club were talking about this race and I was like, oh, that sounds fun. So I went home and I signed up and then I was like, oh, I guess I should buy a bike. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even that's have a bike. Funny right? (laughs) So it is totally doable. Um, Even, you know, if you don't have a bike, you can get one. Um, But I think, you know, having, um, having some people in your life that can provide you with some motivation and answer some questions and things like that. There's also like, you know, online coaches. Um, I've got some online programs as well. So there's, yeah, just lots of options. Um, But I think just, yeah, finding people that know what they're talking about to be able to help you is one of the things that happens with with endurance training is that if you're not adding in like adequate, like recovery um, breaks, and if you're ramping up too quickly or, you know, doing too much too soon, there's a real risk of getting injured. Um, And then as soon as you're going into like the long distance stuff, there's also a huge, like nutrition plays a huge, huge, huge role. Um, And so that's something that really needs to be figured out too. That was my long-winded answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. I love, I love long-winded answers. It's great. Well, Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for being on our episode today. Um, and I am so glad that we were able to connect and I am excited to see all the things that, that you will be continuing to do. And 
I, I kind of wish you were in the States. <laughs> I'm working on trying to get a few programs that are running in the States, but uh, so there might be some options there, but it's still a work in progress. Perfect. It's part well, of that, like, how do we change the world? <laughs> right. Let me know if there's anything that I can do to help make that happen for you. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm really, really glad you were with us today. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for our next episode of Not Just Pretty Faces. A special thank you to our sponsors for making this episode possible.